Next Chapter Podcasts. Oh, thank God you're still alive. With World War III and the holidays ahead of us, we thought we might have lost you. But you know what? Here at Indecent, where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society, we found that the best way to stay sane and survive the horror show around us is never break eye contact with the abyss. That's why we've been macrodosing the spookiest things we can find lately. Everything from true crime to satanic panic to our last episode, where horror writer J.W. Auker helped us understand things like, what do our fears say about society? Why do certain horror tropes stand the test of time? And why is Dracula always horny? We always see ourselves as enlightened beings wandering around with big brains doing cool things. No, like one guy with machete can turn you into what you actually are, which is a bunch of meat that just happens to be sentient or whatever. But 13 episodes in, I think it's time to move on to a different kind of Frankenstein. Or sorry, Frankenstein's monster. One that's made up of bits and pieces of humanity, reflecting both the worst and best of our desires. Influencers. Hey everyone, just checking in. Hey you guys and welcome back to my channel. Hello everybody and welcome to my YouTube channel. We're going to be reacting to hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of food. It's like a part of my job, the Instagram. In my opinion, there is no better metaphor for capitalism than Kim Kardashian's ass. Her manufactured curves are literally bursting at the seams with wealth acquired through nepotism, trash TV, and fast fashion. Her businesses are built on the backs of workers who aren't paid fairly, all to craft an image she stole from black women. She is the American nightmare, and someday she's gonna be president, I swear to fucking God. Because I was horny and I felt like it. And let's not forget the time she and Floyd Mayweather got caught up in a crypto scam. A class action lawsuit was filed against them for not admitting that they were being paid to promote Ethereum on social media. Of course, the judge threw out the lawsuit because if we aren't helping the rich screw over the poor, what is America even doing? So I would think that has to involve some kind of talent. But while Kim may be the most influential influencer of them all, she's hardly the only one to get caught doing something dumb or shady while chasing clickbait. People will say and do anything for attention these days. For example, wellness influencer Metaphysical Megan. She tried to convince her followers about the benefits of butthole sunning. I'm talking naked happy baby pose with your sphincter pointing toward the sky in order to take vitamin D up the ass. Oh. Then there's these three British influencers who were caught on camera back in 2019 while agreeing to promote a non-existent diet drink that contained cyanide. You know, the lethal poison used in World War I. Mmm, delicious. <laughs> to be fair to them though, the whole thing was a setup for a documentary where the filmmakers were trying to see if they would, quote, actually check the ingredients or whether they'd accidentally murder one of their friends. I mean, to be honest, how often do you ever read labels at the grocery store? And they were, of course, being offered a shitload of money. In that same vein, remember when a bunch of influencers came under fire for touring the Sheen factory in China and helping spread propaganda? All of this was just like a cover-up to help the company sweep under the rug the fact that they were violating Chinese labor laws. Is there like a list we can put these people on, kind of like we do with sex offenders? I mean, there's people that will straight up break the law and even risk lives for likes. Like the YouTube prankster that calls his channel Classified Goons. As part of a bit back in April 2023, this guy harassed a delivery driver at a mall in Dulles, Virginia, to the point that the delivery driver took out a gun and fucking shot him. 
Seriously, the best part is a jury acquitted the delivery guy. You really can't make this shit up. The classified goons guy said he would keep making videos and the verdict was quote, all part of God's plan. <sighs> There are other less illegal, more generally just rude and insensitive examples though. Like when Logan Paul posted a video of a corpse while touring Japan's so-called suicide forest. In the video, you see him and his friends mocking and laughing at a person who's clearly hung themselves. There's also his brother Jake who came out and said, COVID is fake and so is most of the news. Charming family, really. This is all gonna be a joke, <laughs> why did it become so real? Still, not all influencer missteps are this egregious. By now, in the year of our overlords, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, we know Instagram boyfriends are rarely real. We know behind every ring light is a pile of dirty laundry, every bubble butt is photoshopped, every fitness bro is on roids. But we didn't get this wise without a little bloodshed. Remember Caroline Calloway, the self-described writer, art historian, and teacher who amassed a massive Instagram following only to be exposed as a total fraud by her number one girly and ghost writer, Natalie Beach? So I'm a criminal that's not in jail is like sort of my whole thing. Their best friend breakup story went viral after Beach wrote an article for The Cut Online Magazine back in 2019. It was sort of the beginning of our obsession with fraudsters. The Firefest documentaries came out around this time, so did the exposés on WeWork, Elizabeth Holmes, Anna Delvey, the list goes on. Caroline became famous at the dawn of Instagram, and her downfall became a sort of turning point in internet culture. One journalist went so far to call Caroline, quote, the empty mason jar of the influencer economy. Natalie's article about Caroline reads a bit Gatsby-esque. It's a sidekick witnessing the life of someone who at first seems perfect and ethereal, living a constant romantic, larger-than-life European adventure, only to eventually reveal herself as messy, cold, and generally untrustworthy. Her hashtag adventuregrams, which were co-created with Natalie, painted a picture of someone who found beauty on every corner, who got everything she ever wanted. But the reality was, she was missing deadlines on her book deal, laying in bed depressed while she was popping pills. Her followers were all purchased before people knew that was a thing you could do. Meanwhile, Natalie was cut out of the deal, instead left cleaning up Caroline's apartment, which was littered with months worth of trash and weird bloodstains. Like I said, it's not as bad as the Kardashians or the Paul brothers, but the story was revelatory. It pulled back the curtain on influencer culture as we once knew it. Still, knowing everything we know now, we've only gotten in deeper. And Caroline, she's still out there. She just released a book, but so did Natalie. It's an incredible collection of essays called Adult Drama. It details everything that went down with Caroline and Natalie's broader thoughts on her life and our world. That's why today we're talking to the one and only Natalie Beach about why influencer culture continues to thrive and at what cost. Natalie, thanks for joining us. <laughs> so happy, so humbled, honored. Yeah, Stoked. no, dude, thank you for the book, first of all. Uh, it was such a joy to read. Thank you. I'm uh, Congratulations. Oh my God, thanks so much. I mean, my my first goal is that it would bring joy. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, it was a ride. It put me through a lot of emotions and uh, maybe this was your intent. Maybe it wasn't. Um, I feel like you tried on a lot of different perspectives of yourself, especially pertaining to the story with Caroline. When you wrote the essay about Caroline, that was 2019, right? Yeah. And so much has changed since then. Like we've, I feel like, like fraud culture especially has really taken over. Like you had Elizabeth Holmes, you had Anna Delvey, you had the Firefest guy, you had the WeWork guy. 
I feel like what people seek out on the internet has changed. Like people almost, I think, like stories of fraud resonate with them. It's somebody building their own brand and wanting to be seen. So how has that affected how you wrote this book and how you view your whole story with Caroline? Hmm. You know, I when I first, I pitched the, uh, the essay originally to the cut sort of right after the Firefest documentaries both dropped on the same weekend. And so, and, and Trick Mirror had just come out and, and Gia has, or was about to come out. And, and there's that great essay about the history of the internet and X number of scams. And so I think I was sort of like at scam culture, you know, the first iteration of, of it on the internet. And, and since then, yeah, it, it was, it's gone through a few different phases. You know, I'm not online enough to really like give you a taxonomy, taxonomy, ooh, can't say that word <laughs> of it, but I, I think for me, like the, the story, you know, I told the story of me and Caroline a second time at the end of the book and it wasn't a story that was like more thoughts on the specificities of this person scamming. It was taking a step back and thinking about, you know, the ethics of writing about other people and, and this sort of trickery or perhaps scammery inherent in any sort of uh, memoir writing, because you are, you know, building a character of yourself to present to the public as sort of a front facing person. And that can like be, it can all be true, but you're necessarily going to omit details about yourself and about the story and it's very selective and there's a sort of sleight of hand to it. And so I would say that maybe we've just like lived with like enough iterations of scamming stories and narratives to to sort of know the genre and and our idea of scamming narratives has become a little meta. It's interesting that you say that you're not that online since your whole life has been an online story. <laughs> That's true. But, you know, I think that was something that um, Caroline and I, it was a good part, like a worthwhile part of our partnership was I, I really wasn't online. And so when we were writing those captions, I was, I, I was, you know, being a pretentious 20 year old when I was, you know, just like writing references to Lori Moore in the captions as opposed to sort of picking up like a snowball rolling down the hill, whatever language was flying around the internet at that time. I, I mean, have you read um, the Patricia Locksmith book, Lock, Lockwood book? Um, Nobody's talking about this. Mm-mm. Oh, it fucking rips. It's so good. <laughs> but a big part of the struggle of that novel is, is the joy of being part of this hive mind on the internet where suddenly everyone is like talking about like being a dumb slut and you get to call yourself that, but, but you lose an originality of thought and language within meme culture. Um, which is partly why I try as best as I can to stay offline. Although I certainly lurk. Also, it must've been so painstaking for you to go back through your whole story. Cause like if I accidentally open a Facebook DM from 2010, I become suicidal. <laughs> like, yeah. Ugh, staring cringe. into the sun. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's painful to sort of do self-reporting on yourself. I, you know, and I got lucky because I, I deleted Facebook and then I was like, but you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a memoirist, so I better save my archive. But then I did it wrong. And so I lost a lot, like all my, my Facebook messages and there's some good stuff in there, but I think it's probably better that it's sunk to the bottom of the ocean at this point. 
Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's weird. It's like not a natural way to live, but it also is the reality that we live in. So do you think influencers or anybody who's crafting a brand for themselves is there a version that isn't bullshit? Like, can you ever put forth an unbiased version of yourself, especially in an economy that relies on attention? Can you ever create an authentic image of yourself? Oh, geez. I don't know. <laughs> um, I First off, I think we all like sort of live in hell. And um, yes. I don't, in, unless you're like fully hawking things that are like deeply unethically made and like bad for the world, which a lot of people do, I think you know, get your bag, like, you know, part of the reason why I like latched so hard to the project of, of Caroline's Instagrams. And then later the book was because I was like trying to be a writer when like magazines and like paid writing work was like crumbling around me. And I was like, how am I going to navigate like my, my life? I need, I need to figure out this, like a new path. But when it comes to the, you know the idea of um, reducing yourself to a brand, I I think back to what Jenny O'Dell wrote in How to Do Nothing, which is that to to be a brand, you need to be like a fixed, sort of knowable, immovable, consistent, viable commodity, and that's just like the opposite of of what life should be. Of you know being someone who can who constantly changes and is like, you know, corporeal and problematic and contradictory. And like, you know, I bleed when you cut me, I have a raging yeast infection right now. Like I, I, I'm not a fixed point. And so I, I do think like, I think that, to, to be a brand sort of denies the, the flexibility and, and the ever-changing nature of, of what it means to be a person. Yeah. Um, and, and that is ultimately like a detriment to, to all of us, not, you know, to our whole idea of you know, what it means to, to be a happy, healthy human being in a community. Yeah. But it also feels like that is what people want. I mean, I don't think anybody's fooled by the landscape of the Internet, right? Like nobody's fooled by the Kardashians. They know that the Kardashians are fake. Their butts are fake. Their lives are fake. (laughs) Yeah. What they post is fake. And people yet still consume that at a crazy level, because I think I think people see that if they if the Kardashians can create this image, if Caroline can create this image, if Trump can create this image, I can also create this image like a kind of fake it till you make it culture. And it's extremely powerful to be able to wield your self-image in that way. I mean, think of all these people to, you know, to varying degrees have like built lives out of it. I don't know. Sometimes when I look back at my like toxic friendship with my Caroline, uh, like I, I wish I had spent less time dwelling on this other person. Like I wish I wish I had just focused on my next chapter. I wish I hadn't been worrying about her next chapter. Like I spent so much time using her as my mirror, as like reflecting on this other person and what it meant about me. But I also feel like I had to go through that to get to where I am today and to like like myself. Do you feel that way? I I mean, on an extremely sort of basic uh, mercenary level, I... I'm living my, the life I'm living right now. My book came out like because I 
had this years long experience with Caroline and then was able to sort of write my way out of her, of her life and into my own. And I was able to sell a book based off of that essay and, you know, quit my assistant job. And so, yeah, a lot of like basic artistic level, like, you know, look at the sweep of my life. Like, yeah, I, I agree. Like I had to go through it to, to figure out who I was or to live the life I'm, I'm leading. Um, I'm not sure. It's, it's hard to, you know, it's the road not taken, you know, and that has made all the difference. We'll never know. Um, we'll never know what would have happened if Carol and I hadn't met and I hadn't gone through that. But I will say that the dynamic between Caroline and myself, I have sort of recreated in a few different friendships and that having finally noticed that pattern, I've like been able to be like a lot more conscious in therapy, but also just day-to-day life about how to, how to break that and have healthier friendships. And, and so it's a, it's a process. It's a journey. Um, I've, I've lived in LA long enough now. I'm like, it's a journey. It is a journey. The energy, the vibes. (laughs) When you wrote that article for the cut, first of all, were you surprised by the virality of it? Like how popular it became? Oh yeah. I mean, what, what an immense privilege to, to be read so widely. It's the kind of like once in a lifetime opportunity for, for a writer, but it like the force of it really like knocked me flat, like that, that level of attention and, you know, everyone wants a piece. Um, and it's, I think, you know, to our earlier point about like not wanting to become a brand, you know, I felt myself like become like sort of getting like people really wanting me to be one thing, whether or not it was like some sort of authority on like influencers and how morally corrupt they are, or like some sort of um, like someone who could like give pet talks to awkward girls or maybe some, some people wanted me to be like the Salieri to Caroline's Mozart. Like people had a lot of different ideas about who I should be or who I was. And I just felt like, well, I'm, I myself and I don't even know really who that is. I'm always changing. So, um, so like, let me be. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me, you kind of go into it in your book. Um, why did you write that article? Oh, because I'm a writer <laughs> and, and writers write. And I, had this great story that was really interesting to me and I always knew I was going to write it and it was just a matter of time. And then Caroline was really in the news because of her creativity workshop thing and the fire festival docs documentaries that just come out and the scamming was in the air. And, and also in a more sort of practical level, I had been pretty depressed for a couple of years without really like really recognizing it or, knowing how to handle it. And like a month before I'd like finally gone on antidepressants and I suddenly like, wait a minute, like I feel like myself again. I feel like I can write, I feel energized. And then the stars kind of aligned. And I was like, I'm going to write the shit out of this story. Like I, I'm ready. I, I've had enough perspective, like time between and distance between me and Caroline. I don't feel like she has such a, a hold over me anymore. And, and also just from him, sort of like I was an ethical perspective, like she was very much like doing interviews and putting herself out there. And so I thought 
she's she's very consciously like living publicly and and presenting herself as this as an influencer and so it's fair for me to write my version of it and and include her yeah yeah and it's really interesting because you kind of talk about how when you were working with caroline you you built this like self mythology for both of you that what she was doing was feminism and praxis and mm. all these things but, <laughs> but in a way in a way i mean you're both right i mean she is an influencer uh and you you're kind of deliver the finished product. Here's my book. Here's my essay. Like you wait until you accumulate all of it and you put out one finished product. Um, what, like, what do you think about, like, what is, what do you think about that in this influencer culture in terms of like literature and like what you're putting out into the world? Like, what does that say that you can just write in real time and post things on the internet on a whim, like, and not really think about them for that long? More power to you. It's its own form, you know, I am someone who, who has like, you know, been, yeah, I've openly guffawed at, at funny tweets and I've learned a lot from, from the sort of, you know, ha it's, it's very exciting as to, to see people like in real time, like arguing and conversing and joking and all that on Twitter or social, like just social media broadly, but I wouldn't call it literature. I think, I think it's just two different things. I think I don't feel qualified to, to give a definition of, of like literature, but I would say that, you know, there's, there's intentionality, there's a perspective, there is, there's an artistry, you revise, you are not doing it um, in real time in public as a performance in and of itself. Um, you, you are perhaps, um, aspiring to a certain longevity and permanence with it. I would imagine there's a certain level of like research and, and bring in like situating yourself within an artistic tradition. Um, it, it's, you're, you're perhaps like working collaboratively with, with editors and, and co-writers and, I don't, you know, and I think that's just a different than the real time experience of, of popping off online. You know, there really is more to life than the endless pursuit of going viral. And no amount of tummy teas or makeup tutorials can stop time. So my producers Max, Pete, and I started to wonder what's out there for an internet personality who's past their prime? Despite what a jury in Virginia might think, we can't take an influencer who's no longer blowing up online out to the shed and old yeller them. So there's a niche out there to fill. The world's first influencer retirement community. And that's where our new business comes in. It's a sad fact of life that nothing lasts. Beauty fades and love becomes just a memory. But while all things must pass, you don't need to go quietly into that good night without dignity, compassion, and maybe even some of the clout you had when you were in your peak era. That's why there's Slaying Acres, a retirement program for social media influencers. Whether you're a certified baddie with 10,000 simps in your DMs, or just one of those fucking losers who unboxes action figures on YouTube, you know you're only as good as your latest post. It's only a matter of time before those of you out there trying to turn your crystal and sage addiction into a lifestyle brand become barely visible on people's For You page. <coughs> so it's never too early to plan for the future. 
After college, I didn't want to go straight into the soul-sucking life of a 9-to-5 office drone. I wanted a way to express myself creatively. Luckily, my parents each own a Fortune 500 company, so I was able to use their private jet to turn my love of staying in luxury hotels around the world into a travel blog. I had a long, successful career, and I got to accomplish so many exciting things. But at the ripe old age of 23, I knew it was time to escape the grind and enjoy my autumn years. Plus, I had to keep a low profile once my net worth got leaked and I was criticized for my quote-unquote privilege. Thankfully, Slaying Acres was there to help. The Slaying Acres community is designed to meet all your needs in the post-viral chapter of your life. You may not be geriatric in the true sense of the word, but that doesn't mean you don't have a fragile ego and loose grip on reality. <laughs> That's why Slaying Acres provides comprehensive, round-the-clock care. This includes group selfie affirmation workshops, physical therapy for tech neck and scroller's thumb, and a pharmaceutical-grade dopamine drip to replace the sensation of having thousands of strangers like a picture of a meal you barely ate. I've always been obsessed with healthy food and working out, but it wasn't until I got extremely online that I realized I could make a living for making people feel like shit for enjoying the occasional cheeseburger. Yeah, I was eyeball deep in free pump covers and creatine powder for a while, then I tried to jump on that whole eating raw organs bandwagon. Before I knew it, half my followers were in the hospital and the other half were dunking on me for being late to the next crazy diet craze, pureed bull testicles. Now. I'm just grateful for the army of bots Slaying Acres uses to make me feel like I still have a following. The attention economy is a cruel mistress, and her whims can change on a dime. But even if you've gone broke buying a BMW for every hundredth person in your mentions who comments, hashtag Beamer me up, daddy, Slaying Acres is there for you. Thanks, Slaying Acres. Your former Crypto Pro payment plan means I can finally put my NFTs to an actual use. Don't get left behind like yesterday's trending topic. Come to Slaying Acres, where every influencer is valid, no matter how washed. Make sure you follow Slaying Acres on all social media. Use the promo code ELDERMILLENNIAL for 50% off. Now back to Natalie. It does feel like influencer culture is the shortcut. Like it feels like and all the time that Caroline spent posting all these things, she could have just written the fucking book. Like you said, she had the book. She wrote the book. She had all these great insights on herself and like what she wanted out of life. And that could have been the story. But instead, like, I mean, you said that uh, some journalists like came after her. So she made T-shirts about the journalists. <laughs> like, like instead of actually like writing an insightful piece, she just marketed it and made it another another post and made merch. Maybe this is part of the issue where, you know, you brand yourself as an author and what's, what's, what's more important is the, the image and the, the brand than the actual authoring. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard to write a book. Not everyone needs to do it. You can, you can absolutely um, share your perspective with the world without writing a book. And also, you know, then there's the whole aspect of like gatekeeping gatekeepers in the industry and you know the the ever constricting uh publishing how like houses and and i don't want to to make it seem like the only way to 
to say something meaningful is is between the hardcover. But also you don't have to post either. <laughs> you don't have to be on the internet. Yeah. No, and you know, you, you, these are um you're you're posting on platforms owned by private companies interspersed with ads that, you know, on sites that are um actively like melting the brains of teenage girls um and perhaps eroding democracy. I I think that it would probably be best for for everyone if we could, you know, extricate ourselves from from that dynamic. That... So when you were crafting this image, I mean, this was 2012. Uh, oh, okay, that's like the dawn of Instagram. <laughs> so you're exactly. Ha- there's no blueprint yet. What did you learn about crafting this identity for Caroline, and what did you learn about the people that were gravitating towards her? Well, first, credit where credits due. I was not the sole architect. Caroline had a really like formed idea of, of how she wanted to present herself and who she was. And the, and you know, the, the earlier iteration was called adventure grams. And it was, I think, I can't remember, you know, we worked together on, on this line, like, you know, you can find an adventure anywhere if you're curious. And, uh, you know, there was, she was traveling, she was getting into adventures. She, was sharing, giving a window into her glamorous world for people who, you know, couldn't go to Venice on a moment's notice. Um, but I think, I think for me, you know, no one, <laughs> I was so um, enamored with her as a person, you know, she, she was everything, she, she represented a lot, everything that I wasn't really. And, and chief among, among it was, she had the ability to go out into the world, sort of spin out into it and nothing bad would happen. And it would all be amazing and adventurous. And she would meet new people and learn things and and have like flings and all that just felt so unattainable to me on like a existential, like spiritual level. Like, you know, I spin out into the world and I get sexually assaulted or, like some guy like pukes on me or like I get bed bugs or it just, it felt like everything, anytime I was spontaneous, it would, it would end with a UTI. Um, and, and so, and so I, I sort of took my vision of her, how I perceived her. And some of that was jealousy of like, why can't I, why can't I, have a life like that it's because I'm not attractive or it's because I'm fucking broke or you know whatever it was that week that was like really bringing me down um you know I I took my vision of her and then I tried to affix it to the page or the 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 caption in you know 200 300 words um and, and so maybe people responded to that maybe there was a certain energy um, coming through her posts because they were being in part written by someone who was like the audience reading it, someone who desperately wanted to be able to live this life, but couldn't. And so the best thing we could do is, is watch it unfold. Well, let me ask you this. Why do you think people still pay attention to Caroline? (laughs) (laughs) You know, Caroline is fascinating, I think. You never know what she's up to or what she's going to do. I, I have to say that I, um, I, I don't follow her. I've, I've, I've really intentionally like walled off 
whatever she's up to from myself. So I don't, so I can't really speak to the fandom around her right now or anything, or like sort of what misadventures or shenanigans she's getting up to. Um, but I think, you know, more broadly speaking, when you look at like the Kardashians, you don't, no one is thinks that like they were born with bodies like that. Um, but that almost like makes it feel like, paradoxically more authentic because they're sort of showing the work you know like like the, it, it took it took a lot of like money and effort um to to have this body and and maybe um there's something um instructional to to us of you know maybe people think like well I can learn how to make myself that because they're showing me how I or you know I had um a friend of mine who worked in, in fashion said that um, Brian McGinley told her that beauty is a skill, which to me at the time when I heard that felt really sort of liberating because I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Like beauty isn't this like God given quality about yourself. It's something you can like work hard at and learn. Um, and then you can decide whether or not you want to put the 10,000 hours in or not. But I also think it's like, maybe it's like not beauty isn't a skill, but it's also like a commodity where it's like, well, you can just buy this body and, and that's its own kind of trap. So to what extent do you have to be a brand? Like, to what ex- like, like, what does that mean to even be a brand, even if you're not an influencer, like in your day-to-day life and how you present yourself? I mean, how deep does that trap go? Oh God, I, <laughs> I take such issue um especially, you know, in my corner of the world and in media, like in in working in film and literature with like the sort of top down incentive for artists to brand themselves. I'm sure you feel pressure to be, to be tweeting and posting and and be sort of a known quantity. Um, And I think also just like going through a book tour, so much of the work of selling and promoting my book is just like something like I have to do myself. And this is not any shade to Hanover Square Press, but more the system in general, where so much of like the labor and falls on the individual artists. And it's like, I'm not a marketing person. I, I don't know. I like people have to rely upon their own followers and their own networks. And I hate that, but I will take issue with, the sort of idea that we have to be a brand that we're forced into it. Like we can just log off and I have my little timer set for Twitter for 10 minutes a day. And then I go outside and I work in my garden or I go to the library. I, I, I could have written this book a different way. I could have banged it off a little quicker and it could have all been about sort of, influencer adjacent things but I I, you know I I have some things to say about that but I also like want to talk I want to write 15,000 words about like depression and estate sales and like I want to talk about trying to have 24 orgasms in a day to get over sadness and 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 I want to read about that okay (laughs) and and and, you know abortion politics and I I think that maybe I would have perhaps like sold more copies if I stuck a little more solidly to how people know me, but no one would hold a gun to my head and force me just to be like the, like Caroline's ex-best friend. 
and I have, you know, a lot to say about other things and that's what I want to do. And so that's what I'm going to do. And, um, I would, I would suggest that everyone, you know, get, get hobbies and, uh, and join the struggle for collective liberation and, uh, volunteer and, and all sorts of good stuff. Like we don't need to buy into it. And I think, and real like relationships and real friendships happen in the real world. Yeah, it is important to log off. But at the end of the day, I mean, this is how brands and companies make their money. And you are able to write about other things that you want to write about because of the story you told. Exactly. Yeah, it's complicated. It's tricky. I feel like you tried on a lot of different perspectives of yourself. And by the end, it's just a story of like uh, like a fucked up friendship uh, and two people that want to be seen. But I felt like because at some point in the last chapter of your book, which is so fucking good, uh, I was like, you, you said something like uh, that you also accused yourself of writing the truth at, at a margin. And then by the end, I'm like, no, but this feels like the truth. This feels like the authentic view of herself and of Caroline. Is, is that how you feel about it? Is this a paradox of, you know, sometimes in order to, I think, actually like grapple with the truth head on you need to like list all the ways you're lying and you need to tell the story over and over and over again and revise it and sort of show the work of of our self-mythologizing you need to shed a light on the fallibility of memory and and also in in the case of this story you know Caroline and I were both like constantly telling our stories about ourselves and for each other and about each other and in different mediums. And so, you know, to, I needed to just try to enumerate all the different ways it was untrue to try to get it right. Yeah. It's unavoidable. You're going to write with a certain level of bias. I mean, like, do you feel when you're like putting together your podcast, like, you know, editing conversations, compressing things. Do you ever feel like you're, you're maybe having to make hard decisions about how you're presenting a conversation versus how it actually happened? Are you asking if I'm going to edit your (laughs) dialogue in a certain way? (laughs) Um, Well, first of all, Pete's my editor, so any blame is on him. (laughs) Pete is the one wrestling with these ethical quandaries. Whether you're an influencer or a writer or just having a conversation with your friend at coffee, what's where's the line between being truthful and an overshare? Well, I mean, there's totally different standards for, you know, a pub- a published um, piece in a, in a magazine or a book versus a conversation amongst friends. Um, I, I don't want to um, put limits on, on anyone's like brunch conversation. Um, who, who would I be? <laughs> Oversharing is a hard concept for me. I I think that is oftentimes like applied to women um, or people like talking about sex or like topics that like make people uncomfortable. Um, and and also I think it's it sort of it's like sort of presupposes a captive audience where. Um, if if you feel like I'm oversharing, maybe people do in my book. I like I talk a lot about my vibrator. Like you can always just stop reading it. Like no one is forcing you to 
uh, Clockwork Orange style <laughs> to like consume my work. Um, and, and so I, I think um, for me, I love I love confessional storytelling, um, and and I'm always happy to to read to you know hear someone being extremely honest and unsparing about the private aspects of their lives. I guess the reason I asked that question, because I wonder, you know, we got such a different look at Caroline through you with the pills and the messiness and the blood on the bed sheets. What if Caroline had posted that in 2015? Like how different would her brand have been, you know, like in this beautiful traveling the world, like Lily Pulitzer type life, <laughs> like how different <laughs> to see Lily Pulitzer covered in blood, you know, that's true. Of blood. that's true. But you know, there has been like, well, over the last couple of years sort of a trend of influencers, like sort of turning the camera around and, and talking and sort of deconstructing everything that went into their posts, like how they hadn't been eating that day or like, what and I think we all kind of saw this, especially during the pandemic, where we saw like your Zoom setup, like you're, you on Zoom versus like what it actually looked like behind you. And it still is still though like you're still we are it's still completely mediated by our screens and about by like the influencers still choosing to share this image, still choosing a narrative, and so it's a completely different experience to to choose it to write about and reveal something about yourself versus someone else writing about you. It's, it's, a, it's about control. Yeah, yeah, it is. And you decide which level of messiness you're gonna show to the world. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we're all fucking messy. We're all gross. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I guess it's just a question of what we're, we're doing with that period blood and who we're expecting to clean it up. <laughs> Reality really is whatever you make it out to be, especially with the right Instagram filter. Thank you so much to Natalie for helping us see through it all. So make sure you go snag a copy of her book, Adult Drama and Other Essays. We'll have a link to where you can find it in the show notes. In the meantime, while we're on the topic of social media, we'd really be doing you all a disservice if we didn't talk about one of the most common sources of content out there. I'm talking about food. Whether it's the latest fad diet that's a total fraud, or the crazy-ass experiments scientists are conducting on our fruits and vegetables, there's a lot of indecency in what we eat and drink. So next time, we're wrapping up our first season by having food anthropologist Dr. Lauren Crossland marr make you think twice before you stuff your face this holiday season. Most of the time, the technology, you know, is safe. The way that it's being used for what we can tell, for like the parameters that we've created, it is safe, right? But we don't understand if those parameters need to be bigger, right? We need to include other stuff like ideas about health. And then also this kind of risks around generational use. Humans can't think 200 years in the future. And, uh, and I think that's a, a huge problem. New episodes come out every other Thursday. Giving us a rating and a review is a huge help and make sure other people can find the show. Indecent is a production of Next Chapter Podcast. Go to ncpodcast.com to learn more. If you have something you want us to talk about, a guest you want to recommend, or you just want to tell us what you've been exposing your asshole to lately, well, shoot us a goddamn email at indecentthepod at gmail.com or hit us up on social media at indecentkiki. Follow me at It's Kiki Anderson. My producers are Max Wolfson and Pete Musto. Our executive producer is Jeremiah Tittle. I'm Kiki Anderson, and this has been Indecent, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. Ever heard of stoicism? 
Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Next chapter podcasts.